It's Thursday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. Good show coming up. Going to talk a lot of gopher volleyball here in a little bit with Jeff Day from the Star Tribune. Gophers made the NCAA tournament. It was dicey for a while this year. They were not playing all that well in uh, <clears throat> in their first season under new head coach Keegan Cook, but turned it around in the last, you know, like four or five weeks, really finished the season strong, sent on the road for the first two rounds. It's a little unusual for them. They're kind of used to being at home, but made the tournament um, heading to Omaha, and they'll be there tomorrow facing Utah State in the first round. If they get past that, they would probably face Creighton, the, the, uh, the host of that first uh, the first two rounds of the tournament uh that would be saturday so good stuff coming up there jeff will be there so we'll preview that talk a lot about this team how they turn their season around things of that nature go for uh go for women's basketball team had a good win yesterday we'll talk about that at the end of the show some transfer portal quarterback stuff i want to get to as well first though what i miss it's wolves against utah tonight um which means Opportunity number, I don't know, 1,000 to relitigate the Rudy Gobert trade of a little over a year ago. Now, we don't have to do this every single time they play Utah, right? But this seems to be a good point for a check-in, another check-in, because uh, things are a little different than they were at various points last year, even earlier this year. Rudy Gobert, the whole trade last year, the four firsts, the players, the the Walker-Kessler part of it too, so it ended up being almost like five picks, uh, five first-round picks, got got pretty well um, slammed for a lot of last year, and I was was part of that as as well. You know, the, the worst part of it was that the player the Wolves thought they were getting in Rudy Gobert just did not look like the Rudy Gobert they probably thought they were getting. And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like is this because he's hit some sort of wall, his age, you know, over 30 now? Is it is it is this going to be the Gobert they have for the duration of his contract? And if that was the case, the trade was going to look bad, right? Like what they gave up was like, yeah, okay, like you can probably live with it if you kind of squint a little bit because the picks aren't going to be that bad. Even the one they gave up in 2023 ended up being the number 16 overall pick. Like, is that really going to be a player who makes an impact? It's a guy who's playing for Utah now. He's fine. That's a guy, Keontae George, who's hey, I'm having an okay, not great rookie season, not very, not very efficient, still young. Guy like that wouldn't be playing for the Wolves. They can't even get their young players from last year, years before, onto the court with all the veterans. So you get it from that standpoint. The problem with it was that Gobert wasn't playing the way a superstar would play last year. And because you had already made this trade, you were limited in what you could do with future trades. You had taken your big swing with these draft picks because you can't trade draft picks in few, in consecutive years. Um, and that, so that was limiting them, and the player they got was not performing. Now, fast forward to this year. Rudy Gobert is now playing like an all-defense NBA player again. He's playing like a candidate again for Defensive Player of the Year. That has made all the difference in how we are looking now at this trade. The Wolves are 13-4. and four. Gobert is playing at a very high level, covering, you know, 
covering the court like crazy, you know, kind of roaming down in the paint, swatting shots, affecting shots, everything like that. He is a big part of the reason why their defensive rating is, I think, still number two in the league. Oh, opposing field goal percentage, I think, is best in the league. Like, they are playing an elite level of defense, and you would imagine that that will continue to a certain degree. I don't know if they're going to be the best defensive team at the end of the year, but they should be a top five defense at the end of the year with all the pieces they have right there. Rudy Gobert, a big part of that. So that piece of it is interesting to me, how how our perception of that trade, how the national narrative around that trade is starting to change. You're like, okay, like I kind of see what they were doing now. They'll have their first round pick in 2024. Um, if they keep going pretty well, the pick they gave up in 2025 won't be that bad. Um, they could still probably, you know, be a pretty good team into 2027, even if Gobert is gone by then, because his contract will be done by then. So, like, what they gave up won't seem so bad at that point, and that's what Tim Connolly's job was, right? Like, he he had to have that vision. I'm hoping to talk to him more about that. By the way, We're working to arrange uh, getting Tim Connolly, a uh, Timberwolves boss, on this show sometime in the foreseeable future. So, more on that hopefully soon. But what his vision was to make that happen how he maybe endured some of that criticism last year, how um, you know, I'm sure there was some internal worry there as well. Like, wow, what's going on here? Um, what, what, Who is this player we have just acquired? This does not look like the player we thought we were getting, things like that. But the Gobert narrative is changing. That That is undeniable. The Timberwolves narrative is changing. They will have to do it tonight without probably Anthony Edwards listed as doubtful. When someone's doubtful, it's probably not going to happen. At least doubtful is probably a good sign for the Wolves because if he's just flat out out, there would be, you know, he wouldn't know exactly how serious the hip uh, the hip injury he suffered the other night um, in that win over Oklahoma City was. If he's doubtful, at least there's a chance he could play. It also means he's, there's no like, obviously there's no like break or something like that that would list him as out or like week to week, month to month, things like that. So you would imagine Ant will be back sooner rather than later, but probably not tonight, already without Jaden McDaniels. So, you know, playing without two of their best young players, that will be interesting. But they should have enough to beat Utah. And Utah's struggling a little bit. Utah's not been great. Walker Kessler, injured part of the year. He's back now. He's had a couple good games lately. That's, you know, that's the one that Wolves fans have been worried about. Kessler, you know, played pretty well, really well for a rookie last year. There were points where you're like, man, I'd rather have Walker Kessler right now than Rudy Gobert. That is not the case um, in the next probably three or four years. But for stretches last year, it certainly was. Like Walker Kessler is going to have a nice NBA career, right? I don't think he's going to be a star. He's going to be a guy, though, that in 12 years, you're going to say, wow, Walker Kessler's still in the league. Good for Walker Kessler. He's, you know, what is this, his fifth team, his sixth team? Like he's going to be that guy that, that you know, always has a always has a role, is always a useful player on a good team, but he is not probably going to be a star player. So I wouldn't worry too much about that, even if the cost control of him would be intriguing in this lineup, things like that. I don't know if he'd be having the same impact as a Rudy Gobert right now. So relitigating this is interesting. We don't have to do this every single time they play Utah, but it is an occasion after last year's trade looking a lot better than it did a year ago. There's no doubt about that. Before we get to go for volleyball, found this interesting. ESPN has already done a ranking of the 13 quarterbacks that have already announced that they are entering the transfer portal. Um, portal doesn't officially open until the 4th, so early next week. But these quarterbacks have already made their intentions known. Two of them strongly uh, connected to the Gophers found this interesting. Of the 13 quarterbacks that are in the portal right now, 
ESPN ranks Ethan Kalik Manis, the quarterback for the Gophers who is leaving. Uh, they have ranked him number 10 out of those uh, out of those 13, uh, saying redshirted in 2021, play, just gave it kind of his basic numbers. Um, so saying he's 10th out of 13th of the quarterbacks in the portal. I have some good quarterbacks in the portal, but I uh, thought that was interesting that they ranked him uh, 10th out of 13 in the portal right now. Fifth on the list, by the way, Max Brosmer, the quarterback that the Gophers have offered, transferring from New Hampshire. Um, he's had a really good career. Uh, 2022, 3,154 yards passing, 27 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. This year, 3464. That was the most in FCS yards passing, 29 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. He's got a lot of offers, but Minnesota looks like he's, they're the only major to offer him so far. Probably seems like they have an inside track on him right now unless someone else swoops in. And, you know, the cost of doing business is up there. Matt Rule, the Nebraska coach, says it takes a million or two dollars, a million, a million to two million dollars to get a good quarterback in the transfer portal. I don't know if the Gophers are quite up to paying that sort of thing. I don't know where they are in their name, image, and likeness, but... Uh, I would not be surprised if it if it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to lure a quarterback like that into the system to make an upgrade at that spot to keep some of your own players from transferring out this year. So that's something to watch this year. I think P.J. Fleck understands this is the way business is done right now. Saw all these other teams having success with transfer, transfer portal quarterbacks within the Big Ten West. Wants to get one of his own, and maybe it's Max Brosmer. And according to ESPN, that would be an upgrade over Ethan Calic-Manis. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk Gopher Volleyball today with Jeff Day, uh, Star Tribune writer, editor. Gophers uh, will play Friday in Omaha, opening round of the NCAA tournament. They're on the road. This is unusual. They're usually home, um, but by by way of a struggle at the beginning of the year, but then turning it on late, they get in but are, are sent to Omaha, play Utah State in the opener. And if they get through that, Jeff, they will play, I would imagine, uh, Creighton, the host of the regional. Creighton still has to advance too. But um, an opportunity there. We'll get into kind of the matchups in a minute, Jeff. And you will be there covering these matches. So everybody pay attention to that. Follow that in Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. But this is more, this probably is more about how they are playing right now as opposed to what these opponents might uh, <clears throat> might present to them. And Jeff, this is a team that looked like it was not even going to make the tournament maybe a month ago. Yeah. the you're, I think you're totally right. And um, the, the way that this feels is that um, they have, at just the right time, kind of in the nick of time, uh, figured out who they want to be as a team, um, figured out some rotations. I mean, that's to me, that's the biggest thing in watching them is it feels like a team that um, was trying to figure out um, how they wanted to relate to each other on the court, um, how they wanted to relate to each other off the court, what they wanted the season to look like, um, you know, struggled early. It wasn't just that they were 
losing matches. It was that there were just stretches of play that were befuddling. If you have ever followed these players before, um, and of course, it's a new coaching staff. They have new transfers. They've got, you know, two or three new players um, playing all the time and trying to get their system figured out and all this stuff. So there's all kinds of reasons for why a team might struggle early. But um, yeah, there were just stretches of play early in the season where you just felt like this group of talent shouldn't be having this happen. Right. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to be giving up like, you know, 10-1 runs against Iowa. You know, you're just sitting there thinking something doesn't feel quite right, you know. Um, that has changed. Um, not to say that they're some kind of perfect team or all of a sudden they're one of the best teams in the country. I'm not quite saying that. But they are playing head and shoulders above where they were playing before. And that is because they have uh, figured out a rotation. They have worked in um, a defensive specialist named Zeynep Palabliak, who is from Turkey, who everybody was excited about when they signed her. And then they kind of slowly worked her in. Um, she couldn't start. I don't think she started playing until December. Um, and then she really got into the rotation the last two or three weeks. Her uh, development mixed in with uh, Julia Hansen getting in as she's kind of a service specialist, but also has played some major roles when she's gotten a chance to, you know, be a, an outside hitter um, this season and get some playing time. Um Elise McGee has come in and like really helped again to stabilize that back row with some defense. The reason I'm bringing up these players who aren't Taylor Lanfair, aren't right. Melanie Schaffmaster, aren't Kylie Murr, aren't McKenna Wooker is because this is part of the alchemy that had to be figured out for this team. Um, everybody had to learn to get into a role that worked. People had to drop certain elements of their game, you know, like uh, Wookers had to leave the court now and like be comfortable letting somebody else come and serve and play some back row. Um all of those things, I think, probably took some time for everybody to get comfortable with. But what you see now is a team that really, night after night, for the past, I don't know, let's say month and a half, has been slowly building into what they are now, which I think is their most complete version of themselves. Um, the Big Ten, it's a weird year for the Big Ten in the NCAA yeah. tournament. Um, five teams. Um, you know, I think the Sun Belt got four teams into the tournament. So you're just like, okay, it's, you know, the people viewed the Big Ten with a certain kind of eye this season. And I think different coaches around the league have given various reasons for that. It could be an RPI thing, could be a scheduling thing. Um, but to me, the Big Ten was a real grind this season. And you have these top teams, uh, Nebraska and Wisconsin, obviously leading that way. But if you paid close attention to their seasons, they were pushed several times. Um, you know, John Cook said uh, this last weekend when Nebraska beat Minnesota that they won the Big Ten title on eight points, basically, was his feeling. Um, and so, anyway, my point in saying this is that late in the year, the Gophers still haven't had like a marquee Big Ten win, right? Right. They haven't beaten Nebraska. They haven't beaten Wisconsin. They didn't beat Purdue. They didn't beat Penn State. They didn't beat those top teams above them. They pushed Nebraska on Saturday in their regular season finale in a way that I thought was really telling about their mental fortitude. And also, again, this feeling that, hey, it, this is starting to feel like something better than it's been before. Um, and now they get a chance to go away from their conference. Right. And, you know, Utah State is seated above them. I, I don't know if I, well, you know how this works, but we can tell the listeners how seating works in, in an NCAA tournament right. bracket. Get these regional hosts. Um, that'll be Creighton this weekend. So all of the matches will be there. But then within that, they seed the four teams. And Creighton's the one, Utah State's the two, the Gophers are the three, Colgate's the four. 
Uh, Utah State is out of the Mountain West, and um, I'm, you know, it's like anything with the NCAA tournament. You're quickly playing catch up to learn about a team, but it'll just be interesting to see what the what this looks like on a competition level. The Mountain West is a good conference, and Fresno State went in and beat them in the Mountain West Conference tournament. So there, and then they won the conference uh, tournament. So they're in. They were sort of a middle of the pack Mountain West team. Um, you know, if you're looking for a marquee Utah State win, they beat UNI. UNI is a very good volleyball team that's um, over in Wisconsin's regional. They lost to Nebraska, got swept by Nebraska in, in three. They got swept by TCU. These are non-conference matches. In their conference play, they were fantastic. How they're going to match up with the Gophers, uh, to me, this feels like one of those things where a major program is going to face a mid-major. Yeah. And the mid-major is the higher seed in this instance. Um, it will be really telling, I think, not only for what they're capable of on Friday, but what you might be able to expect on Saturday against Creighton um, in how they play this Utah State team. If they come out and exert their, their will on them and play the way they did against a team like Nebraska or the way they did in these last couple of weeks against some really good Big Ten teams that didn't make the tournament, teams like you know uh, uh, Indiana and, and Illinois and um, even, you know, some of their wins against Northwestern that were fantastic and, um, you know, a dominant win over Ohio State. If they play like that, I think you'll start feeling like there's a chance for this team to to push Creighton and, and make a run at the Sweet 16. Um, and again, it just goes back to this feeling of this is two to this is two um, different feeling teams. That is how it feels to me as the person who's followed them all season. There was a certain vibe early that felt unwieldy. Completely yeah. <laughs> unwieldy. And um, right now it feels much more settled, much more contained, confident. Um, and every player in that room on Sunday is like, let's go. You can just feel their 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 energy around this, that they've worked really hard to finish 10 and 4 in the conference and put themselves in a position to even make the tournament. And now um, I don't think I, I would highly doubt that any that Utah State or Creighton will be super excited yes. to have uh, be in their way. That's what I would think, too. And, you know. This is the hallmark of a good team, right? This is what you want a team to do. You want them to get better as the year goes on. This kind of reminds me of how Hugh McCutcheon built teams, although McCutcheon's teams generally were like pretty good early and then got really good late. Like right. this this in Keegan Cook's first year um, was, you know, pretty mediocre or even bad for stretches and now has gotten to the pretty good stage, I would say. Um, and now is maybe ascending to to even more. How, how much of the the early season kind of clunkiness, whatever you want to call it, how much is how much of that is just hey, it's a brand new coach, it's a brand new system. They're trying to figure out who these who these people are, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Whereas you know you had a system under McCutcheon for a decade that you kind of knew what you were getting. Yeah, the um, you know. Yeah. Minnesota has been lucky because McCutcheon takes over for Hebert, you know, who had built a really great pedigree. But, you know, I think it was McCutcheon's third year. He missed a tournament and then reached the national championship the following year. Um, Cook this year comes in. He's got a really nice collection of talent. Um, but at the same time, he did have some things he needed to figure out because of players who left because of especially because of Laney Choboy, who we saw on Sunday with Nebraska, who was a really good young defensive specialist. Um, they had to go fill those spots. They had to hit the transfer portal. They had to go to Turkey to find Zainab. You know, they had to yeah. make some moves. And then you start, you know, putting all of this together. And, you know, players have intimated that some of this was internal as much as it was coaching. It was about uh, this collection of girls, 16 
players with, you know, high aptitude and high expectations, um, maybe uh, pride having to figure out who do we want to be as a collective unit and what do we want this to look like as a season. Um, and maybe figuring that out with a new coaching staff adds a layer. You know what I mean? A layer yeah. of trying to understand each other and and figure out how to uh, boost each other up and, and be supportive. And I don't think it can be also understated again that they had to figure out how to put a roster on the court that could give them a chance. I mean, that to me was the biggest thing. Their serve receive was so bad early that it was just, you just kind of felt like um, they're not able to play volleyball in the way that that any of them expect. Because if you can't get a good first touch, you can't get your offense into system. You can't build any momentum during the course of a set. All of those things were evading them. Um, And they had to settle into that. Once they did, I think you started to sense some of the uh, more positive energy start coming out of them. Um, and also just a recognition that if you're going to win, you're going to have to be a team. You're going to have to bury some of your ego. You're going to have to bury some of your, you know, expectations for what a season might be for you and decide what you want it to be like for everybody else. Now, Cook and his staff, um, you know, I'm sure that is just as much on them trying to help these girls understand what the what this can look like um, and to get them to believe that, hey, if you if you work with us or if you let us work with you, uh, we can get to a good place. The fact that they got there, I think, is the most important thing, not just for this season. I often, you know, when I look at this roster, uh, they have two seniors. They have two players who are going, you know, who knows what happens, you know, in college athletics these days in the offseason. But theoretically, almost everybody on this team is coming back next year. Right. Um, and so when I look at this, I think not just about the development of this team this season, working with this new coaching staff, creating a, a new you know, identity and a, not a new, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Building something new, uh, extending it off of that uh, legacy that everybody's coming from and, and that Cook is inheriting. Um, and also getting ready to to push it forward and to prove that, hey, we can we can build a program. We can put you in a position to be successful. And Taylor Landfair in the second half of the season, or really since conference play started, has played, you know, just great volleyball. And defensive volleyball and obviously like her normal offensive output has come back and i think shaftmaster's finally healthy uh she looks better on the court she's just more mobile she was wearing a knee brace that looked like a transformer type thing i mean this thing was serious early in the year and you could just tell that she seemed limited in her mobility um wooker to me is one of the more exciting i i don't know about you but i love um athletes that look at times like they're trying to um, defeat the sport, you know, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Russell Westbrook comes to mind sometimes uh-huh. or uh, Rafael Nadal, or even someone like Serena, where you're just like, you look like you're trying to not just beat your opponent, but you'd like to see if you could actually conquer the game. <laughs> and she is like that. She's young, you know, she's a sophomore, but I watch her sometimes and I'm like, boy, she just, she has so much internal fire and I think that can hurt her at times. Cause she is, it's like her game still developing, you know, you're a number one recruit in the country. You have a lot of expectations of yourself and um, she's gone through adjustments this year. Like I said, it's not easy. She played six rotation um, to start the year. And that's a big ask, you know, for a sophomore in the big 10 to, and, and especially with the non-conference schedule, they were playing with a new sure. coach staff, right? Uh, every single team they played in the non-conference is in the tournament this week. Wow. You know, it's a, it was a monster slate. Um, and so she had to get uh, – they took her out of six rotation. They benched her in the win at Indiana, which was maybe one of the biggest wins of the season, maybe one of the most important wins of the season. Your player who is leading you in points and kills per set is on the bench for that match. Hmm. Again, you talk about development. 
she comes back from that and has a phenomenal final two weeks. And um, she against Nebraska in the first set, she was again, trying so hard to hit through this really good Nebraska block. Couldn't figure it out in the first set, hit negative in the first set. I think she had one kill on 10 attempts, three airs, like just not figuring it out. Then she keeps working at it. She keeps, you know, she just has a lot of fire. I think she's going to be a phenomenal, she already is, but I just think she has the right mindset to be a, eventually a leader and somebody who I think Gopher fans are just going to like, I don't know. I just can't get enough of watching her because her energy is just so palpable. Um, so anyway, I don't even know where we started. This is how it goes with me. It's like, I, I have so many thoughts about this team because they're just, <laughs> they're just really, it's been a great season. I think your core question of did this take time to develop because of a new coaching staff I think there's no question, but I think it also was an internal thing with this team of getting comfortable with their roles and, and the coaches putting them in a position to be successful. And this weekend will be huge. Um, like I said, Utah state, most likely Creighton. Um, yeah. What I know about this venue is that it's intimate, you know, a great gym for volleyball, 2,500 seats, fans on top of you, a really passionate, we know Nebraska in general is just a super passionate for sure. uh, volleyball state. Um, and so I think it's really exciting for them and the players uh, I think the players feel kind of what I'm, I think what I'm saying is reflective of what I've heard from players. That is that they are in position right now that they should be able to get in there and do something. You said um, every team they've played in the non-conference made the tournament. Creighton was one of those teams. They played them yes. lost in five sets. Now let's, you know, let's project out. Let's say they can beat Utah State, and that's not a given. Obviously, they're, no, they're, they're lower seeded than Utah State, and, and yes. for a reason, the, the the committee looks at these things and they they seed them accordingly. And Utah State made the tournament last year. I think they were seventeen and one in conference play conference. this yep. year. Um, so they are, you know, that is not something you're just going to look past or automatically put that in the win column. But let's say they no. do. Let's say that Minnesota and Creighton advance. Um, you know. Obviously, if they if they played played them to five sets earlier this year when they maybe weren't at their best, you have to look at it and say, "Hey, this is an opportunity that there's a path to the Sweet 16, even if it's you know on the road against higher seeded teams." Well, you know, Creighton is the real deal. Is is, is the first thing you have to For know. Sure. Um, they they can play with anybody, and when they played Minnesota, Minnesota wasn't at their best, but they were missing one of their key outside hitters in Norris Sis. This is a Creighton player. Yeah. Uh, and so they weren't, Creighton wasn't at full strength either. And, you know, Keegan Cook said this on Sunday, you know, as, as we look at Minnesota from that perspective, we say, oh, look at the growth and development of that team. Well, who knows what Creighton has, he said, that's one of the things he was most excited about was to go see, well, what's Creighton been doing since we played them? I mean, they've lost four matches all season. Um, this is not, this is that, you know, they, they went and won a set at Nebraska, um, they just, you know, kind of chewed their way through the big East. Um, when, when I say chewed their way, I mean, we're talking, we're not, we're talking about not losing sets. Yeah. Uh, and you know, what does that look like when they, when it comes to playing a team like Minnesota that maybe provides that slight higher level of competition than some of your big East teams. Okay. We'll see. But again, this is not uh, a cakewalk section of this tournament Creighton if they get if they can get past Utah State and again it's like mid-majors it, it, just like in any sport can be super funky they can get you they they have an identity that Utah State team is not going to be looking to be pushed around um, but if they get past that and they play a team like Creighton you just got to get ready to go to battle and if you're Minnesota the thing that they're going to rely on which is what um 
a lot of people have said about the final, you know, four or five weeks of this season is they have had to play with what they have called a tournament mindset to end this year. Because like you said, there was a real possibility that they missed the NCAA tournament. So how do you not do that? You win 10 of 14, you know, you go down, you win every crucial match you need. You win in five sets against Indiana. You win in four sets against Northwestern and Michigan State on the road. You destroy Illinois at home in a match you have to win. And you push Nebraska to four and you come down to one point to making it a fifth set. So, um, again, you don't want to project too far. But all that I'm saying is that the Gophers can play with these teams. Um, I, I think it will make for thrilling volleyball. Um, and I don't think anybody who's watched this team develop would say that there's uh, the, that it's unreasonable for them to go and win two matches here. Um, and I know that is their mindset that they can get through this and find a way to get to that sweet 16 and advance in this region. The only thing I wish for you, Jeff day this weekend is that you don't necessarily have to, at least, at least on deadline, I would not want it this way. Um, I think the last volleyball tournament that I covered was 2004. Okay. And, um, the Gophers went to actually Gophers went to the national title game that year. That, that California national title match. Yeah. They went to California. Okay. Well, that was, that was at Long Beach. Going to Long Beach in December was not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but to get there, they played two five setters against, um, Georgia Tech and Ohio State. They, they were, they were hosting the regional that year. So they were, they, they had a home path to the, to the, uh, championship. They, uh, set four against, uh, Georgia Tech, the Gophers led 28-23, ended up losing 48-46. to <laughs> And then was, had to rally and win the the fifth the fifth set. That was a different scoring era, right? I think they played sets uh, that to was, 30. Or were they yes. still playing to 35 at the time? They did play to 30 no, it was, then? No, it was to 30, but it was still, yeah. it was rally scoring. Rally so scoring. it was still... Back and yeah. forth, back and forth? Yeah. That's crazy. 48-46. That's yes. crazy. Yeah. You know, on on Saturday, they played Nebraska at the lovely Saturday night, 8 p.m. start. Oh, that's those and are, yeah. so they get, um, you know, we uh, there's a little inside baseball for your podcast. Listeners, inside but our, volleyball. Yeah, inside volleyball, yeah. Uh, our deadlines was like, it was like 945 print deadline. Um, yeah, for, no chance. For, for no the chance. state, no. Oh, well, there was because Nebraska oh. comes out, wins the first two oh, sets. Right. Yes. They're up 13-7 or 12-7 in the third. Yeah. And I'm like, this is over. And then Minnesota just turns the match. I mean, yeah. like that. And yeah. the PAV, it, the PAV was already amped up early. The PAV went nuts. And I'm sitting there, it's like 942. And I have a whole story written about kind of, you know, yeah. a loss in the sweep, but still kind of looking forward to what Sunday brings. And then I'm like, you just got to backspace it. It's like this whole match mm-hmm. just changed. Yeah. And, and the fourth set got super tense. I'm sitting there watching that. And it's like, now we've got to hit a 1030 deadline. Yeah. It it makes for uh, it, it's not the best way to watch sports, I guess is what I would say. Um, but there there's there was there, the PAV on Sunday on Saturday was as lively as I've heard in my career of covering the team. It was so amped, and um, I was talking with Keegan Cook about you know they had a weird schedule this year. A back ended four home matches to end the season, so they didn't and and their identity kind of developed in the middle of the year. And I think their fans didn't know what to make of this team. I think there was a lot of disappointment early. And then in this final two weeks, the team was so scrappy 
Um, this is a scrappy, scrappy team, man. They they get after court coverage. They block. They play defense as well as almost anybody in the country. Um, they went toe-to-toe defensively with Nebraska. That is not easy to do. Yeah. Uh, and the you could sense the crowd somewhere in these last two weeks and their fan base kind of recognizing what they have here, which is maybe not a perfect team, but one that if you – start recognizing what their strengths are and what they do best. It's like, man, it's a lot of fun to support them. Now they're going to go on the road um, and hopefully not play a match that goes, whatever, 48, 48, 40, 46. Yeah, 48, it was like, 46. it took forever. It was, you just was jinxed just, me, Randball. If you just, no, me yeah, well, but pocket. I'm just, but I'm just saying, like, I think that, you know, that was the semifinal. So I'm probably, that was probably a Friday. So the deadline probably wasn't so bad, but like, you know, they're up two one 28, 23. And, you know, this is like 20 years ago. I can't remember exactly yeah. what my, what the deadlines were, what the story I yeah, had yeah. written, but like, I'm sure the story changed completely and they still, I couldn't, when I looked it up just now, I couldn't remember if they won or lost that, that set. I just knew that, that, that went for 48, 46 was all I knew. So I'm not jinxing yeah. you. I'm just saying, I don't wish that for you. Although what your your the Friday match is four o'clock. So we don't have to worry oh, yeah, about so if that. They want to go, go deep on that one. Go I deep mean. on that one. Just don't, don't do it to you on, uh, on Saturday. These are, um, I'm sure they'll travel pretty well. I'm sure you get some gopher fans down there. Are these all yeah, it's only 2,500 seats? So it's like, even well, if you travel well, even if you travel well, there's nowhere to sit. You know what yeah. I mean? There's, there's no room in the arena. Um, yeah. I'll be very curious. I'll make sure and get that are color into the uh, copy. Are these all televised, streamed? How do we know that? First, uh, first round is ESPN Plus, so that's uh, streaming. Yeah, so that's streaming. Um, and then I don't know about second round. I know once we start getting deeper in, they yeah. they're on regular broadcast. Okay. But and the tournament, you know, the big thing for the tournament this year is that their championship will be on ABC. There's a lot of excitement right. around that, and in general. Uh, yeah, I just would say that uh, I can't wait. I'm so yeah. excited. I, I well, just you're going to be it. there. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait. I just think it's the team. Like I said, the team is, uh, it's a really exciting team um, for what they've turned into and um, and for what they're trying to build. You know, it's like you, you talk about a first year coach and being under 500 halfway through the season and your players feeling a certain kind of way and having a lost weekend at Rutgers and Maryland and historically bad losses and, uh, that to me is why if you care about volleyball and if you care about the program, it's like, that's why they're exciting because in the face of that, how many teams fold, how many teams say, Oh, I'm out. And yeah. they did not do that. And they worked their way to a really nice place by the end of the season. It's like, I don't know what more you can ask for in terms of like storyline and trajectory of a team. They've, they've delivered this year in a lot of ways. Who among us has not had a lost week. <laughs> 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 Who among us has not had a lost weekend in New Jersey and Maryland, Jeff Day? But uh, stories for another time. Jeff Day, appreciate it as always. Uh, follow his coverage, and uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll check in maybe next week. Maybe we'll be pre- yeah. previewing the Sweet Sixteen. We'll have to see. All right, thanks, Rambo. Great stuff from Jeff. As usual, you can tell how passionate and knowledgeable he is about this sport. If you want to read more about it, he'll cover this tournament down in Omaha starting tomorrow. I think on the website right now, starttobe.com, there's a list of all the Minnesotans playing in this tournament. I think 29 Minnesotans playing in the NCAA volleyball tournament. This is a hotbed for volleyball that shows up in the Gophers roster, but also on rosters all over the country. So a good sport to follow right now, and that should be quite a tournament down in Omaha. Let's finish with the cooler. Will we be talking about a Gophers women's basketball NCAA tournament appearance in a few months? It's a good question. We're a little far from figuring that all out, but they look awfully good right now. Another convincing non-conference win, this time by a throw at 31 points over Norfolk State. 
Grace Kuchalski, 30, I'm sorry, 26 points, made five of her eight three-pointers. Freshman with a big-time three-point uh, three shot. Dawn Plitzelwhite, head coach, seemed like she was pretty happy with everything she saw. The quote, I thought her effort and, and, and intensity was really good, taking care of the ball, moving the ball, attacking when it made sense, and we did a decent job defensively. Love that last part. Coaches always want something to work on. She will go defense first. She will want them to crank that up even more once Big Ten play starts in not too long. But they look good. They look like a team that could be not just competitive, but a team that could end up being in the tournament or at least in the mix once we get to March. That'll do it for me today. Chip Scoggins expected to join me on Friday show. Start to be in columnist. Want to pick his brain on a whole bunch of stuff. It's been a newsy week, right? Dean Evison got fired. That was this week. Uh, John Hines hired in his place. We got a quarterback controversy with the Vikings. We got a quarterback controversy with the Gophers. All sorts of stuff going on. Chip and I will weigh, on, weigh in on a lot of those things on Friday. But until then, enjoy the rest of your day. Be back at it again tomorrow. <laughs>